What you are hearing are the sounds of baby raccoons playing in a rehabilitation playground. Here, they can climb, play with toys, hide in empty trash cans, swing from ropes, and play on slides. All of this and more is in the basement of one certified animal rescuer rehabilitator's home. Not only that, upstairs in the main house are incubators that at times hold up to 50 baby squirrels and raccoons. The house is set up with cages and dog crates that hold animals of different ages and sizes. All of these animals live here until they are ready to be released. Gina Jackson is the certified animal rescuer who takes care of all of these animals. She says that she takes care of four or 500 animals each year. One more thing, she doesn't get paid for it. In fact, she pays for everything herself. I'm Anna Vanover, and this is Rise for Wildlife. How someone becomes a certified wildlife rescuer varies from person to person. Some may see features on the news that inspire them to get involved. Others work with organizations that have convinced them that it is the right thing to do. In the case of Gina Jackson, it wasn't either of those things. Well, initially, I lived in California, and there were a lot of dogs that would run around, and we got into dog rescue. So we would pick up stray dogs off the road, take them to the vet, go ahead and get their shots and bays and neuters and find homes for them. And occasionally, we would get the random birds or squirrel or wildlife that would come in, and the laws and regulations there were a little different, so I was able to take those animals to my vet, get them treated. We moved here to Ohio and thought we were finished with the rescues, but people continued to bring us animals. One day we ended up getting this baby squirrel that had a severe eye infection and the eye was bulging, really bad infection, and I could not find anybody to help him. And so I was able to get a vet here to give me some antibiotics to treat this little squirrel. And I ended up getting the information to become licensed for the state of Ohio so that I could treat the squirrel basically. And, you know, so I would know what to do if other animals came in. Once Gina began her work as a rehabilitator, she and her family quickly discovered the extreme commitment involved in helping the animals in need. Since the position is volunteer-based, all expenses that are incurred fall on her shoulders. Not only that, there are feedings that need to take place every two hours, around the clock. These responsibilities, as Gina puts it, are exhausting. Sadly, because of the all-encompassing nature of being a wildlife rescuer, many who get involved quickly burn out and quit. This leaves those like Gina to take up the slack. Suddenly, they may find themselves not only taking care of animals in their area, but sometimes driving miles to other cities or towns to pick up an animal in need. The problem is there are a lot of states where we kind of have dead zones. We just do not have enough rehabilitators. So you might be in one of those areas where there's nobody for two hours close by that you might have to drive to get to them or meet them halfway. And that's really common because this is a volunteer position. We don't get paid for this. So there's not a lot of people that go out of their way to take care of wildlife. You're doing it with your own expenses. You're feeding babies every two hours around the clock. There's just not enough help. So when Gina shared about driving far away to get an animal that was out of her specific area, 
and how the babies needed to be bottle-fed every two hours. You could assume she has a facility for that. She does. It just isn't what you might expect. So when I go pick up an animal, they are coming back to my house where we all live with my children, and we have it set up with designated areas. So I actually have an office that is kind of my incubator nursery area in the spring and summertime. Um, It'll just be lined with small cages and heating pads and incubators. Um, And that's for the really little guys. You can put little one or two week old squirrels or raccoons in there and they can stay warm. And I might have 40 or 50 of them in that one room, which sounds like a lot. But if you think about a small 10 gallon aquarium, you can put four or five squirrels in each one or raccoons and they're very teeny tiny and they need to be fed every two hours. So I want them very close by where I can watch them. I can monitor the heat. I can make sure they're staying warm, that they're active. And it's just a lot easier when you're feeding them every two hours to have them all together in one central location. So what happens after they move on from the incubators? Once they're out of that nursery area, when they kind of start becoming more active, they're walking around, they're moving, then they're separated. I have bigger cages for squirrels. Um, I love the Critter Nation cages. They're fantastic. The squirrels cannot get out. It's three stories, so they have plenty of room to run. And I will have a, a room set up just for squirrels. And then in my basement, I have bigger cages, like the 60-inch dog crates. And that will be for raccoons, because that way I can hang up hammocks. They can climb. They can play with toys. They can run around. Um, My entire basement is my raccoon room, so half of it will be cages, and then the other part will be a large pre-release cage. It's 20 by 15, and pretty tall. I believe it's 10 feet tall as well, and so they can run around. They can climb on cat climbers. They can jump on hammocks. They can swing from ropes. Um, That's kind of a bigger cage just before they're about to be pre-released. And then the other half of my basement is kind of a playground. It's kids' slides and swings and um, climbing equipment, all kinds of stuff, so that I can go in and clean their cage, and they can come out and run around and just get their energy out and play while I might be adding new things in or cleaning cages or switching out their food or whatever. But that way they're getting plenty of stimulation to, to run around. Finally, when the animals are about ready to be released... They go into an outdoor pre-release enclosure. This wilding up is a crucial part of their rehabilitation. The outdoor pre-release allows the rescued animals to experience a more natural habitat. They will hear the birds chirp and feel the wind and experience the nighttime. This is designed to acclimate them back to the wild. The animals are usually released back into the wild in late summer when the weather is milder. That posed an interesting question. Since many of the animals are raised from infancy, how does a rescuer, like Gina, keep from bonding with them? We break our ties with them once they're off milk, so they don't rely on people. And at that point, they start to wild up on their own. So the raccoons will start identifying with each other and see me less as their caregiver. So that way, when they are released, they do not have that bond with people at that point. So we'll break that bond once they're off milk, let them kind of grow up a bit, figure out how to act, go into their pre-release cages. And once they kind of wild up, they're not relying on people and they have all the skills they need for hunting their own food. They're able to climb. They're able to 
make their own den out of what we put in there, then they're able to be released. One thing that we learned from our interview with Gina was that most of us don't really understand these animals. We base our opinions on false information, and if we're honest, most of us aren't very educated when it comes to wildlife and what to do when we meet up with it. Gina Jackson touched on this when we asked her what her favorite rescue animal was. So I tend to focus on the raccoons. Um, I absolutely love them. They are just hilarious to watch. They run around and play. It's like having a two or three-year-old toddler at all times. They'll get into cabinets. They'll open up their own jars of peanut butter. You know, they'll run around and wrestle and play and just, you know, cause mischief. They're so intelligent. And it's really amazing to watch them figure things out. Um, not to mention the raccoons are very affectionate. And I think people don't understand that. People think of raccoons as being nuisance animals. Um, they don't like that the raccoons get into their trash or they break into their attic. You know, and the issue that people need to understand is these animals are very intelligent and they are trying to survive. And as I tell education groups when I go out and teach children, if you're hungry, you're going to get food no matter how you have to get it. If you have to go to a dumpster behind a grocery store, you're going to get food. If you need to go to a neighbor and beg, and that's what these raccoons are doing. If they're really hungry in the wintertime or in the spring when they have babies, they will find any means they can to survive. And if that means breaking into your warm attic because you left a vent open, they're going to do that. They're trying to take care of their babies. If they're hungry, they're going to get into your trash can because the reality is we have cut down their habitat. We've cut down their trees that produce their nuts. We have spread so much Roundup and pesticides that we're killing the bugs that they would normally eat for their protein. So we're causing this, but then we get angry when the raccoons are all of a sudden very hungry and they're eating your cat food on your back porch. Um, you know, it, it's kind of an unfair stereotype or misconception to label these animals as nuisance. They're not. They're so extremely smart that they're trying to survive. They're protecting their kids. They're protecting their own lives and reaching out. Once during baby season, Gina received a call. The man on the other end of the phone was crying. He had just shot a mother raccoon that had broken into his chicken coop. What he didn't know was that it was about to give birth. Gina quickly instructed her family to maintain things at home with the rescues while she was away trying to save the babies trapped inside the deceased mother raccoon. So I dropped everything. I drove out to this guy. He was a farmer. He was used to delivering babies. I'm a rehabilitator. I know what to do once they're born. So we actually did a C-section on this dead mom that he had shot. And we pulled five beautiful, healthy, really big baby raccoons out. And these raccoons were 90 to 120 grams, which is pretty big for a baby raccoon. Um, so she was ready to give birth any day. And he just felt absolutely awful. This story is one example of tragedy turning into triumph. This terrible act changed the life of that farmer, as Gina Jackson explains. I was able to raise those raccoons, and they were just absolutely amazing. They were fantastic. But what was interesting about this was this farmer had never thought anything about shooting wildlife. Didn't even occur to him. It, it was just a natural habit. So if, you know, 
you had a coyote walking through your yard, he would just shoot it. it. You know, you don't want them to go after your livelihood and your farm or eat your crops or, you know, take out your chickens in this case. Um, but I was able to explain to this guy a little bit about, you know, securing the chicken coops, you know, being more proactive. And of course, once he saw these babies, you know, he was just, you know, he made the connection. He made the connection that these animals have families, that they are taking care of their babies and that they're just struggling to survive. And so what was really neat about this was not only was I able to release those five baby raccoons back at his property, it completely changed this guy. And he made an effort not to shoot any more wildlife. He started to talk to his buddies about it and it made a really big impact you know, with at least that circle of friends. We'll be right back. Gina Jackson's commitment to saving wildlife, educating the community, and giving without condition is quite remarkable. She is a prime example of what a wildlife rehabilitator is, compassionate, committed, selfless. Gina is just one of many special people you will meet here on Rise for Wildlife. It is our mission to support licensed wildlife rescuers by supplementing their needs with contributions from individuals like you and bringing attention to their mission by informing and educating the public through our podcasts and other media-based modalities. Making the plight of the wildlife rehabilitator known through our programs will help to ensure the animals whose natural habitats are getting smaller and smaller will have a better chance of survival and to provide relief to rehabilitators who give of themselves to help local wildlife affected by urban sprawl. All of us here at Rise for Wildlife are volunteers. All gifts received are given back to licensed rescuers who, by the way, don't receive any funding for what they do. We would love to have you join us by making a financial contribution of any size Remember, whatever you give goes right to the licensed rehabilitators to help supplement their needs. For more information on how you can support Rise for Wildlife, click on the link in the podcast info or simply go to Rise for Wildlife at facebook.com. We'd like to leave you with this final thought from Gina Jackson. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, rehabilitators are not paid. You know, I, I drive and go pick up animals and nobody stops to think, hey, I should give you $20 for the gas to come out here or for the milk formula. You know, I go through a bag of dog food a day. Um, I, you know, in, in baby season, you know, we use the 20 gallon buckets of Fox Valley milk. It's $240 a bucket and I go through a bucket a week, you know, so people don't realize how much money we're spending on this and that we don't get funding. You know, I rarely get a donation. You're not walking into a big fancy hospital when you bring me an animal or I pick one up. So people don't think about it. They don't realize that, oh, maybe we should leave a donation um, or donate some dog food or paper towels to clean cages or anything. You know, it's very expensive to do this. And I just think people don't realize that. Rise for Wildlife is a production of Rise for Wildlife Incorporated a nonprofit organization designed to help those who rescue by providing information, support, and education. For more information, visit our Facebook page or call us at 657-500-RISE. 
I'm Anna Vanover, and this is Rise for Wildlife. Rise for Wildlife and the licensed rehabilitators who we support would like to thank you for your gift of any size. Your tax-deductible contribution helps us to help rescuers through support, information, and education. You can make your donation on PayPal to our user ID riseforwildlife at gmail.com, lowercase, no spaces. Rise for Wildlife Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit organization.